Good morning. Maybe you will believe me when I say it this time. I am so thankful to be here with you today. I am so excited to open the Word of God with people that I love so much. And as much as this sounds like a song or corny or whatever, I have seen with my eyes one of the seven natural wonders of the world. I have seen some of the most beautiful natural wonders of the world. But my, what my eyes behold today is so beautiful. So beautiful. God has given us such a gift to be able to be each, with each other, to have each other, to love each other, to comfort, to care, to uplift, to encourage, to just be present. And as much as I've enjoyed and grown and, and thought and reflected and prayed and read over my time gone from you, I will tell you, it's good to be here. And I'm glad to be back. I guess, though, I'm a little bit of a glutton for punishment. Because I could have ended our sermon series into my sabbatical on an easier section of scripture to start back on. Um, Romans 13 uh, is not overtly difficult, but it is very nuanced. Maybe more so than you might have known before you came in here today. Um, so I want to say this to you as you hear what I have to say. Um, some of this you may not agree with. I'm going to talk about COVID today. I'm going to talk about other things that seem political. And I'm going to take a very strong stance on what I believe Romans 13 is saying. Uh, if you disagree with me, I would pray and hope that you would give me the benefit of the doubt. Uh, talk to me if you uh, have any questions. And if I feel like in any way that I have not done my due diligence and I have wronged the word of God or have done anything displeasing to the gospel, I promise you I'll be the first one here next week to say so. Um, but I will also give sort of remember that we are our sermons are a part of a larger whole. So this sermon is not going to be the only discussion we will have on today's topic. We will also talk about this topic next week, and I will give a more developed second side to what I believe this topic says. Romans 12 began our section on, we went 9 through 11 on our obligation to the Lord in sanctification. Romans 12 has begun our section on um, our obligation to others. As believers, our obligation to others. How we are each a part of the body of Christ. Our obligation to the church. How we are a small piece to a larger whole. The church is not, it is built up of individuals, but it is not for individuals. It is for individuals to be a part of something bigger. It is for a collective. We ended Romans 12 with our obligation to our enemies, right? Love our enemies. Bless those 
who curse us. Do not curse those who curse us. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. The Christian responsibility to others, especially those in the church, but even those who we would consider our enemies. Now, chapter 13 continues our obligation to others, specifically speaking to how we handle those in authority over us. Will you pray with me before we really dive into this? And let's see, let's ask God to really speak to us and see what he has to say through his word. Mighty God, holy and perfect in all of your ways. We humbly submit ourselves to the authority of your word today. Would you allow your word through your spirit to speak to us, to change us, to form our minds and our hearts and our lives into the image of our God and King, Jesus Christ? Would you allow us to worship in our obedience to you? Would you allow us to glory in our obedience? Because we know that when we obey you, when we obey the commands that you have given us, we are reflecting the glory of the Father. Lord, help us to submit to you. Help us to submit to earthly leaders in all applicable ways. Help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Help our obedience to unify the church, to grow the kingdom of God, and to spread the fame and glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we worship you in all of the ways that you have prescribed today as the church. Would you find our worship to be in spirit and in truth? And would it be a fragrant aroma to your nose? We praise you. We bless you. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for this church. They are such a blessing to me. A blessing to this community. A blessing to this world. May it always be said to be true of this church. We praise you and we bless you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Although I don't believe America is a Christian nation, its laws, as all other countries, are bound by Christian principles. The Bible says, blessed whose nation is, whose God is the Lord's. And I believe America for a long time has been blessed because of for a, major, for a large portion of the population, a Christocentric understanding, a Christ-centered understanding. Our founding documents, although were not signed or written by just Christians, were based on Christ-centered biblical principles. As a matter of fact, we know for certain the nation whose population is religious, is a more moral nation. The nation whose population is Christian is even, or, or based on Christian principles, is an even more moral nation. Now, don't get me wrong. Morality will not get you into the kingdom of God. It will not get you into heaven. Morality will not save you. But it will 
it will slow the decay of the populace. It will slow the spread, the widespread um, movement of sin in a population. Again, I just want to warn you. These are going to be some hard subjects to talk about over the next two weeks. Give me the benefit of the doubt, as I will you, and let's discuss this if we have issues. But on some level, America and every nation has based their principles on the law of God. Because the people, if not overtly Christian, are made in the image of God. And so there is this innate desire in them to make laws and systems that are good for the people. And that comes from being an image bearer of God. Listen, if there was not a law to not murder, would you still, would you go out and freely murder? Would it be every day be like the purge? If there was no law to not murder, that's not the case. The people in this room would still not be murderers, right? If there was no law not to steal, probably the people in this room would still not be thieves on a regular basis. I can't promise that for everyone in here. Because evidently y'all's integrity is still worth some free drinks and stuff at the restaurant. The rules and laws and commands of God were placed in our heart at creation. And therefore we know how God has led us. And therefore there's this innate desire in us to do good for others. And honestly, because there is desire in us to please God, even if we don't know the God we're trying to please. Therefore... A society that is more God conscious is a society that is more moral. A society that is less God conscious is a society where the idea of justice becomes more and more corrupted. In America, we have the Constitution. And although the Constitution is not an infallible document, it is a legal document, the primary legal document that we follow. And its intended purpose is to guide the governing officials on how to follow the laws to best protect the rights of the citizens of that country. One of the main purposes of the Constitution is to guarantee that our inalienable rights are not infringed Upon. It is the document that you and I are governed by. And if interpreted objectively, it is good for all the citizens of this country. Now I'm going to talk today mostly about how we operate in America. Things change in different contexts. They, they change, obviously, in different countries under different types of rules and leaders. Um, they don't change in the sense of their truth. They don't become relative. They just change in the sense of their function and how uh, we respond. But I'm going to talk about America because, surprise, you live in America. And chances are you're going to stay in America for the rest of your lives. 
Romans 13 is a continuation of the thoughts at the end of Romans 12, really. Romans 13 is a continuation of the thought, do not return evil for evil. It would be unjust and evil for the authorities in this government to not enforce laws that protects its citizens. It would, a matter of fact, be returning evil for evil to not enforce laws that protects the rights of its citizens. Imagine if this country allowed everyone to go and steal, everyone to take away the property rights or the personal rights to own and maintain property of people, everyone to go and kill. Imagine if the authorities in this country allowed that to happen. It would be chaos. It would actually be returning evil for evil. It would be allowing evil to run rampant and therefore allowing the government system to be evil. It would be unjust not to enforce the laws of this land. As a matter of fact, here's a spot where you may disagree, but it's okay. I'm right. And we'll talk about how you're wrong later. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I want to I wanna hear you. I listen to you. Trust me. Um, I believe in retributive justice. Do you know what that means? I want to explain it to you if you don't understand what that means. It means that the government should punish equal to the crime. At least equal to the crime. It is, listen, here's where you might disagree. It is not the role of the government to reform criminals. It is not the role of the government to reform criminals. The prison system is not installed to reform criminals. Although, that is a wonderful secondary effect when criminals are reformed. The role of the government is to prescribe penalties and to restrain evil by, reform, by enforcing the law. The government should not be in the business of reforming criminals. We know that reformation, true reformation, only comes through the indwelling power of God through the Spirit of God. It cannot come through programs and, uh, and incentives and things like that. Although those things happen, that is not true permanent reformation. The government has been placed in authority to enforce laws justly. These laws should be enforced in a way that is equal to the crime. The Bible calls it an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. While Jesus later says that's not the standard that Christians should follow, we should not follow personally an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says if, if someone slaps you on the cheek, what does he say to do? He says turn the other cheek. If someone steals your cloak, give them another one. But he does give them your other one. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say that that's not the standard that the government should follow. The government should still follow the standard of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you say, well, that may sound harsh, but friends, really? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is saying that the punishment should fit the crime. Do you understand? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a standard set in place so that people were not overpunished because of race, because of poverty, or socioeconomic status, or any other thing. They were not overpunished because of corrupt leaders. An eye for an eye says if someone takes your eye, you take their eye, not their life. Do you see that's a restraining of unjust behavior? A tooth for a tooth says if someone takes your tooth, you take their tooth and not their leg. 
and not their arms. It is just punishment for the crime that was committed. And these laws should be enforced in a way where equal punishment is equally given to the crime that was committed. It's a good standard for leaders. It's a good standard for law enforcers to follow. Now please understand, I am the next things I'm going to say, I am bound by my position as a herald of God to say the things I'm going to say to help you understand the Bible in its original context and in our context. But the coronavirus has proven several things in the life of believers. We have a terrible ecclesiology. We have a, ecclesiology is an understanding of the function of the church. We have a terrible ecclesiology. I will try to help you with that in a minute. We have a terrible understanding of Romans 13 as it pertains to our duty to the government. And we have a terrible misunderstanding of how persecution works. I want to try to help you with all of those three things today as we look at Romans 13. And initially I was going to try to go through Romans 4. I'm not going to make it today. The first thing I want you to see is from verse 1 in Romans 13. And that is that God is the source of all governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now I'm going to steal a few things from pastors. Uh, who I've read content on Romans 13, who I've watched sermons, and obviously ideas that I've had as I've read this text. Um, because there have been some great sermons, there have been some great, there's been some great content put out as to the coronavirus, as to COVID, and how we are to respond. Nevertheless, all authority comes from God and is subject to Him. And we are told as Christians to submit or be subject to that authority. Now there is a nuance here. Paul does not say obey that authority. He is not saying with absolute certainty obey that authority. He uses the word subject. He says be in subjection to that authority. Now there are times, oftentimes, where subjection and obedience overlap. But there are times where subjection and obedience do not overlap. So it is very important that you understand we are to be a subject to governing authorities because they are placed to God. We are not always to be obedient to governing authorities. When we think about an example that will help you out of this, we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down to the image of, was it Nebuchadnezzar? Sorry, I probably should have read that again. Uh, was to Nebuchadnezzar. And when they denied that, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Hey guys, this is something that literally happened. This was not something cool to tell your kids. A story to cool that's cool to tell your kids. This actually happened. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. You know the Lord protected them. This, the Jesus, I believe, was with them in the fiery furnace as the fourth image in the fiery furnace. And they were rescued for civil disobedience. They were still in subject to the authorities. But they did not obey the authorities. Uh, Daniel is another example. 
He was thrown into the lion's den for praying. The apostles are another example. The apostles were told to stop preaching the gospel, to which they responded in Acts 4. Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Acts 4, 19-20. And later they were brought before these same rulers. And they had kept on preaching, by the way. They kept on disobeying the commands of the leaders. And they said, the leader said, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Evidently, they didn't just go on teaching. They doubled down in what they were saying. And you intended to bring this man's blood upon us, meaning blame us for Jesus' death. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, these are just three examples of biblical submission. Where civil disobedience was practiced. Disobedience to the government, but still submission to the governing authorities. But there are countless real life examples. Corey Ten Boom is one that comes to mind. Workers on the Underground Railroad during the height of slave slavery. Christians in the underground churches in China and North Korea and other closed countries to the gospel. So how do you honor God in this way? You do what is commanded by the government as often as you possibly can. But when it is in violation of God's commands or not clear if it is lawful, you humbly disobey the law of the land to honor God. Then you stay. Listen, here is how you stay in submission to the authorities. You disobey their commands and you stay in submission to the authorities when you humbly subject yourself to the punishment that comes by disobeying the authorities. Do you understand that? You can disobey the authorities and still be in subjection to the authorities by saying, I am willing to obey God and disobey you and I will stay in subjection to you. You can put cuffs on me. You can find me. You can punish me. I'm not trying to usurp the authority of the government. I am trying to help you see where you have usurped your authority. This has been done all throughout history. It's been done in this great country. Now you look at the things we are facing now and you say, it's just this or it's just that. It's so small. Why can't... You understand that you could just give up and allow this to happen and it'll be fine. Friends, the American Revolution was tipped off because of tea. At what point? At what point? Do things become over the top? And I will tell you, they never seem over the top until you're looking back in hindsight. They never seem over the top until your rights and freedoms that the government is in charge of protecting, that is their sole responsibility, are gone. Then you stay, you stay in submission to the authorities by subjecting yourself to the consequences of those countries' laws while humbly practicing civil disobedience. So God is the source of all governing authority. And often we subject ourselves to God 
by following their commands. But there are times where we subject ourselves to God and the government by disobeying in a civil and humble and godly way. So the source of all governing authority is God. There's a second thought I want you to see from this. Paul gives us the purpose of government, rulers, and authorities. He gives us the purpose of government, rulers, and authorities. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you, uh, would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Listen, from verse 3 we see that the purpose of the government is not to instill fear in law-abiding citizens. The purpose of the government is to protect law-abiding citizens. The purpose of the government is to enforce laws so that those who do not obey the law fear the retribution of that government. Fear that the laws of the land will be justly um, enacted. That the punishment of the land will be justly enacted. So that if you break those, you will be punished for your injustice. The purpose of government and rules is to enforce the laws that have been predetermined long before those officials were elected. How were they predetermined? They were predetermined by God Himself, placed on the hearts of man, which caused them to write them out on paper. Which these predetermined laws in our country promise certain inalienable rights. And among them are the rights to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What are some of those rights that the government must protect? Life. The government must do its best to protect the right to life of its citizens. But friends, where it seems like life is the most important, it is just one of the rights that they must protect. They must protect liberty. That is, the freedom to work. The freedom to worship. The freedom to be with your family. To be with your dying loved ones. The freedom to bury the dead. The freedom to have services that memorialize those that you love. And the list can go on. I won't keep going. Those are just a few. But those are under the government's role to protect, to do their best to enforce the law in order to protect those rights and all of those rights. Not the ones that seem most important during a certain time of life. The government, listen, the government has no responsibility to protect you or I from a virus. The government has zero responsibility. It is not the objective of the Constitution or government leaders. They have zero responsibility to protect us from a virus. What is their responsibility? To give us all of the information they have. To shower their people with all of the resources they have to protect themselves but not to try to litigate, judicate, or any other ikate a virus. I would assert to you that any rule or regulation that took away someone's right to work, 
to be with their family, to, co to comfort dying loved ones, no matter what the cause, is unjust and out of the realm of government's authority and should in clear conscience be rejected by all Christians. The government is not here to protect us from a virus. COVID is a natural part of a dying world. Of a world that is dying because of sin. They are here to protect our rights. And that is all. Now you may say life is one of them. That is true. But life is only one of them. And it cannot be protected at the cost of the other rights that we have. Now, I would assert to you that, the, and this is huge, you need to hear this. The American government, or any other government for that matter, is not liable for one single COVID death. They are not liable for one single COVID death. They are not, if, listen, if we all went, if we all took a church trip to Mount Rushmore, and the government had opened Mount Rushmore, and we all got COVID, and we all died, the government is not responsible for any of our deaths but the government makes laws and mandates that takes away rights and it harms and it kills people and they will be held accountable for that unto God they will not be held accountable unto God for one single COVID death but if a lockdown calls to suicide your government leaders and the government will be held responsible for that death unto God if the lockdown caused a death because of an untreated illness because someone was unwilling to get out of their house to go to the hospital. A lot, that government leader will be held responsible for that death unto God. If a lockdown causes poverty or loss of other rights, the government officials will be held accountable to God for their decisions to try to police COVID. To try to police a virus that is a natural part of the fallen condition of this world. Their sole responsibility is to protect the rights of those they govern. And anything beyond that is an overreach of power and not within the objective reading of the law of this land. Which is why I think Christians can be a subject in subjection to the government by practicing civil disobedience. Because what we are saying at that point is the risk of the virus is on the individual and no one else. You make your own decisions about how to handle such a deadly and dangerous thing. And no government can police that or make that decision for you. Now I'm going to push the point forward to last week because I'm going to give you some practical things and how this applies to us. I want this to be as practical as possible because some of us have no problem practicing disobedience. That's not what I want us to do. I want us to be in subjection to the governing authority. Listen, we need to make the leaders that are directly over us love us as believers. We need to make it so easy for them because if they are following the institutions and the orders that they are supposed to follow, we need to make it easy for them to want to, to govern us. Because listen, believers wholesale for the vast majority of all the laws of this land can easily follow them as we're doing unto the Lord. We should be some of the best, most easy, civilly, 
wonderful citizens around. But there are times where that may not be true. Now I have three times I want to give you today. And I think you should write these down. I stole them from Pastor James Coates. Do you know the name Pastor James Coates? Do you know who that is? It's a Canadian pastor who has been imprisoned and fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for just, content, just continuing his God-given, inalienable right to assemble as a church in the way that God has prescribed, in the way that the government has no authority over. He gives us three ways we know that we can be in subjection to the government and still disobey in a civil way. Number one is when the government forbids what God commands. When the government forbids what God commands. Number two, it's very similar. When the government, they're not up there, sorry. I wasn't quite done with this last night when Blake was asking for the um, thing. When the government, I'll try to go slowly. When the government forbids what God commands. When the government commands what God forbids. When the government commands what God forbids. And when the government commands what isn't theirs to command. When the government commands what isn't theirs to command. When the government forbids what God commands. One example of this is the government forbidding a person from preaching the gospel. Now you may think, well that isn't happening. Do you know what the terms were for James Coates' release from prison? You may think no free country's government is forbidding the preaching of the gospel. You know what the terms were? The church could only meet at 10%. They could not sing. They could not read scripture aloud. And there would have to be some other rules and regulations that probably wouldn't be so bad. But the, but the other ones were strictly what God had commanded the church when it assembled to do. When the government forbids what God commands. If you think... Well, this is just a simple request. It's just for a moment. You have a terrible ecclesiology. You have a terrible understanding of the church. Friends, if you, if you are a Christian in here, and you, were, you went through coronavirus with this church, where we shut this church down, this, the, the communion of the saints down, you know what a hole, a gaping hole it is to disobey God, even for a time, for the good of the, and welfare of the people. You know what a gaping hole it is. You know what it does to a people. If you've ever had a church like this, if you've ever had people that you look forward to seeing, that you love spending time around, you know what a gaping hole it is to have this happen to you. The ecclesiology of the church today is terrible because here's what people believe. Now, hear me. If you believe this, let's talk about it. Don't get angry about it. Let's talk about it. I'll try to prove you wrong biblically, okay? Here, here's what people believe. People believe that you can be a Christian and disconnected from the local body of believers. That's a terrible ecclesiology. You cannot be a Christian and disconnected from the local body of believers. You have to be connected to the church. Because God has instilled in a, a way in us that only grows, that only matures as a believer. Excuse me, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You cannot be a maturing Christian and be disconnected from the body of believers. 
Because God instills and installed ways that only we can only grow if we are connected to God's people. He also commanded us to be connected to God's people in person, in real ways, with touch. I mean, heck, the disciples said, greet each other with a brotherly kiss. If you want to start taking away rules and regulations from me, I'm just going to start kissing every one of you. You cannot have genuine fellowship rooted and grounded in love that is commanded to sing, commanded to preach the word and be away from each other. You know, this is all harbored. And if anybody listens to this outside of this body, I'm going to get ridiculed for what I'm about to say. But I've already said a lot, so I might as well just go head first. This is all harbored by an attitude that says you can have church on a TV screen and it's still the same thing. We'll have multi-site campuses. We'll have one guy preaching from one place and, and, and it's going to be exactly the same thing. Let me ask you, who is your pastor? Who shepherds you? Who are the people you're accountable to? Who are the people he's accountable to? How are you functioning as the Bible has prescribed with a good ecclesiology? When we think that the church can be reduced to a TV screen. It can be reduced to a couple of times a year. We have a bad ecclesiology. Now listen. We, we, I don't think we did anything wrong by shutting down Vintage Church at the beginning of the virus. We were trying to help. We were trying to be a good neighbor. We were trying to do what was right. I don't think we did anything wrong. I don't think you have done anything wrong by choosing because it is your personal responsibility to protect yourself, to keep you accountable to yourself. The virus, whether it affects you or not, on, in some, on some level, you are accountable. That is your responsibility. So if you have chosen... To, to take it and address it in different ways. I don't hold any, I don't hold you liable for any wrongdoing or whatever. Honestly, I've respected that. But ultimately, friends, we cannot, we have a bad ecclesiology. So when the church is forbid, is, it, the, the government forbids the church to meet, we say, sure, why not? We'll do that. Easy. You cannot have church without genuine fellowship. Without doing what God has commanded. I want to tell you, our church is not perfect by any stretch of imagination. But have you ever been a part of anything like it before? If you're new here, have you ever been a part of anything like it? Have you ever felt the community? Have you ever gotten um, the word preached in the same way? Some of you have, I'm sure, but for the vast majority, before you came here, you didn't. I'm not saying this to brag on me. What I'm saying is, is that most people don't get this. And so when they don't have it, they don't miss it because it's not worthy of being missed. But when you have the Word of God preached to you faithfully on a weekend, even when I'm gone, on a weekend and week out basis, when you have community, genuine community, when you're trying to even advance that community even further, you miss it. You realize, hey, God intended something really good for the church. 
And, and you know what? I should probably keep up with this. I should probably do as he's commanded in this manner. When the government forbids what God commands. When the government commands what God forbids. What about when the government says you must perform this ceremony or that ceremony? Or you must sign this document or you must bake this cake. Uh, you must you must perform this abortion. Now, all of these things are happening. You must, in those instances, do what is right. Do what God commands. And the way that you are still in subject to that authority is that you are willing to take the punishment. You are willing to take the consequences humbly that come from submitting to the commands of God. Do you know what? It would be political suicide for, go for governing officials to protect the rights like the Constitution has, has commanded. But do you know what? They are going to be held accountable to God for not. It is suicide as a doctor to turn down services or to turn down certain things. It is uh, occupational suicide. But do you know what? I'd rather be held accountable to God in good standing than have a second vehicle or a vacation house. I'd rather be poor and rich in the eyes of God than rich and comfortable in the eyes of man. You do what is right. You humbly take the punishment. But that doesn't make the government just even if they've made the law. And many Christians foolishly have a terrible understanding of persecution. Some say, this person's not being persecuted. They're just being criticized. It's just words. Where do you think it starts? Or what about James Coates? James Coates wouldn't have been arrested in Canada if he had just obeyed the laws of the land. If he had just obeyed the regulations. Couldn't he just think about the better good of mankind. I have a serious question I want you to ponder on. Where, when do you think persecution begins? It doesn't just pop out of nowhere. Of course if you stop gathering or preaching this or preaching that or doing that wedding or baking that cake, of course you won't be persecuted. No one is ever persecuted for falling in line with what others command. Christians saying, if you just do what you're told, it's denying the conscience of other Christians and backstabbing believers as well. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, not because he was obeying the government and they just decided to start killing Christians. He was thrown in the lion's den because he could not obey anyone but God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all persecuted for civil disobedience. So if you obey God in good conscience and you're punished, even by established authorities, it is textbook persecution. This is why I said a few months back, John MacArthur's church is textbook definition of persecution. Since the government has no rights to govern what the church does, when the church is punished, when rights are taken away, when land is forfeited. Because a church is honoring its conscience and obeying God, that is textbook 
Persecution. Persecution doesn't happen just out of thin air. And it doesn't happen when people obey the governing authorities. It happens when people disobey in unjust rules of govern, governing authorities. What about, and that kind of leads into this, what about when the government commands what isn't theirs to command? Friends, you need to hear this. I'm going to help correct our ecclesiology. Objectively and absolutely, no power in the United States or any country has a governing authority over the church. They cannot tell the church when to meet, how often to meet, what is to be done in the service, or any other little nuance of church life. The church is only accountable to God. The pastors are only accountable to God. And in that respect, the government has zero authority over the church. Now, if the church decides to do ungodly things and disobey the commands of the Lord, and they happen to also disobey the commands of the civil government, then the church has forfeited its right to be under the protection and authority of God. They are now under the punishment of God because those governing leaders are put into authority. But the, the government has no authority over the church. Government leaders cannot command something that is out of the realm of their power. In one of my favorite episodes of The Office, Michael Scott has um, financial troubles. He's made some bad decisions. And he's talking to the accountants at the office. And one of the accountants says, um, I think the best route is to go bankrupt, is to declare bankruptcy. This is, Andy and Joe are going to correct me on this because they have way more of a knowledge of this. But this is basically what happens. This is the gist of it. Okay? So Michael goes out into the middle of the office and he says, I declare bankruptcy! That's about what level the government has authority over the church. The government can step up from their thrones, from their, from their places of leadership, and they can say, I declare this is how the church should operate. But declaring bankruptcy, verbally and vocally, does not actually declare bankruptcy. And neither does say, saying this is how what only God can determine should be determined. So there are times when we practice disobedience but are still fully in subject to the authority. At MC tonight, I want you to think about more than I've just mentioned. Because there are countless, countless. We have the freedoms and the rights and the Constitution today because the government that had been established in this country thought that King George had overstepped his bounds as an authority and as a leader. And they rebelled. First civilly and then with the sword. Now, you're not going to get me to tell you that every single thing that was done in the American Revolution was done in a God-honoring way. Not going to happen. I mean, I believe if God had been leading those people, it should have been an American revolution for everybody at that point. It shouldn't have taken another hundred years and then another hundred years for full freedoms. You know, in the Constitution, it should have never been that a person was three-fifths a man. 
It should have been seen that all people are created in the image of God and equally image bearers. It should not have taken that long. But I will say this, and you might not hear anybody say this. America did in what, about 300 years what no other country or not many other countries have done in their existence. Slave trade is still one of the most, the biggest, it's like the gross domestic product of some countries. It like is more than the gross domestic product of some countries. That's maybe not even a side sermon. That's, I don't even know what that is. Take it for what it's worth. When the crowd was trying to test Jesus, they said, again, this is like my Michael Scott story. This is just, a, this is just sort of like a commentary of what happened. It's a paraphrase. The crowd was trying to test Jesus and they said, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus took a coin. He said, who's, who's on that coin? And it was a picture of Caesar. And he said, then render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus was saying there is a definitive line where we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Christians are to make it a delight for the leaders above them, whether you agree with them or not. They're to make it a delight to the leaders above them because of the subjection we have, the civility we have. But he also, I'd like to think, flipped that coin over. And it was probably a picture of some God or something like that. And he said, unto God... What is God's? See, Jesus was not only saying Christians should support and be in submission to the government, but he was saying Caesar has his limits. Even Caesar has his limits. Because there is unto God what is God. When the government commands you to do what is forbidden by God, when the government forbids what is commanded by God. And when the government steps in and does something that is out of their realm of authority, we can, in a God-honoring way, subject ourselves to the government, subject, subject ourselves to the punishment of that government, and still civilly disobey and honor the Lord in that. This won't be the only conversation we have about this. So we'll keep going. We'll keep going next week a little bit. And I would love to talk to any of you about the questions. And there might be an area. I'm not infallible. There might be an area of this that I'm missing or I might even need to clarify. Oftentimes, oftentimes, annoyingly almost, Blake will talk to me after a Sunday morning service and say, um, I think what you said was right on. But maybe we need to think about this part of this that other people, you didn't mention and other people might think about. And so... If, that's, if you see me the next Sunday and say, I want to be clear on this, guys, okay? That's because Blake or somebody else has come to me and pestered me about something. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, iron doesn't sharpen iron without a few sparks, right? So how does this look practically? We obey state laws. Easy. We obey state laws. Most state laws, most national laws are put there for your good and the good of others, and they should be easy for a Christian to obey. Uh, we follow the speed limit-ish. We follow the speed limit-ish. Within the realm of reason on the interstate, right? That's why I don't put vintage church stickers on my car. And everyone is a dummy. 
when I'm driving. Everyone's a dummy. It's bad. I really need it. Y'all need to pray for me in that. What is this dummy doing? So everyone's a dummy. Pray for me. I'm not kidding. I know it's funny, but I'm not kidding. Pray for me. I don't want to be uh, a rage monster in the car. Trust me. Um, we pay taxes. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Might step on a few toes. We pay taxes with what we've earned. We don't try to cheat the government. Listen, the Bible doesn't say obey the government tax system if it's just. The Bible says render what to Caesar what he is seen as Caesar's. And then you trust God for the result. We speak well of the rulers. We pray for them. We honor them in any way that we know how. I don't think you are commanded to vote, but I think one way to live in subjection to authority is to vote. Participate in civil events. Help civil authorities and leaders. Help police officers. Help firemen. Support police officers. Uh, in almost every case, in almost every instance, support police officers. There are times where injustice does happen. But that is only caricatured by social media and the regular media. That is not the norm. I'm telling you. But you know another way? We oppose the state when they step over the line. Because when we oppose the state when they step over the line and we do it in a civil way, what we're saying is, you've gone too far and as a citizen of this country, as one you rule, I'm going to let you know that that's not going to be okay. You do it in a civil way. You don't do it by storming the Capitol building. You don't do it by rioting. You protest, although the efficacy of protest, I don't know. I don't think the protest that Martin Luther King had were the most effective part of his ministry in those times. The most effective part was teaching about equal rights in, in sermons and in churches and in conference halls. Talking with people. Getting white people to come along and be on his side. And it was the groundwork underneath. It wasn't the protest. I mean, those, those made impacts. It's not good sometimes. But it was the groundwork. Friends, don't be lazy in your civility. It takes groundwork to get to make things change and to make things happen. It takes effort. Don't be lazy in your civility. People like Martin Luther King, people who have changed the world and changed this country, they were not lazy in their civility. The protests and the marches were just a tiny part of the huge and massive effort for freedom and equality that they have. Now you would think that the only thing that works is a protest or a riot. We protest and we refuse to follow the laws that infringe upon the rights given to us only by God and established in the documents of our government. Friends, we find ourselves at a place with both, generally, at a place where we're at peace with man and if we submit to the governing authorities and submit to the authority of God, we are at peace with God. Please trust my intentions with everything I've said. 
In no way have I meant to call you out in any way or shape or form. In a way you've, a decision you've made over the last year or anything like that. That is not my intention. I can honestly say with everything that is in me, within me, I respect and love every single one of you in this room. But also, this is where God has led me. And I have to speak it in this manner. We'll go on next week. God, we love you. You're so good to us. You are incredibly kind to not leave us wondering how we should live this life, but to give us this perfect book, this God-spoken, God-breathed book that leads us into faith and leads us into righteousness. Thank you for your word. Your word is true. Bless us. Help us to honor you. Help us to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.